Hey everybody, it's Jim and Aaron. I'm back with another commi- uh, commission podcast. I almost just almost spoiled the lead. This is unlike. This is the this is the first podcast of its type. Uh, it's a community commission. These are the ones yeah. where we sell ten dollars shares of a movie. When we sell thirty shares of it, we take it down and uh, we commission it. And as since it's the first one, there might be some uh, some production stuff because. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, like here, I, I want to shout out everyone by name. I have two names. I can I can say uh, Tiffany Collier. I think is how you'd pronounce that, or Collier. All right. Um, and uh, Keith Alejandro, which we've uh, you know he's he's a, a regular feedbacker and whatnot. And I got a bunch of usernames, and I actually sent an email out to people asking for like you know their proper names and feedback if they wanted. I'm not sure if they're shy and they didn't want to get back with me or. Or I try to also respect people's privacy by putting all their names in a BCC list, and maybe that's like hot button for spam filter or what. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Um, but just to briefly thank the users is uh, T Volmer eighty nine, uh, Bertel twenty three, Dave DJ Husu. All right, uh, I think is Leslie J forty two, Coral one eighty two. And Mo Regi Bowser ten sixty four, which is some kind of memory address on a Commodore uh, uh, or an Amiga system, I think. I mm-hmm. think if I remember my Byte magazines from the eighties correctly. Uh, thank you very much. And they decided to pull down Pulp Pulp Fiction. Yeah, classic. I think everyone knows Pulp Fiction. The sure uh, David, or the David the Quentin Tarantino uh, crime farce dialogue driven bloodshed ridden gore fest like how do you even describe this movie yeah yeah it's so many things uh welcome back cotter rejuvenating uh film uh how about action and dialogue vehicle the quentin tarantino action and dialogue vehicle sure sure okay stars a lot of quentin tarantino staples uma Mm -hmm. thurman uh sam jackson Yep. Uh, I would say John Travolta, except for he's only been in the one, hasn't he? I think you're right, although I haven't seen Jackie Brown. I don't know if he's in that. Also stars Quentin Tarantino, Bruce. Of course. Bruce Willis, who's yep. not also a, a big Tarantino guy either, no. I guess. Huh. Uh, but yeah, those, those are the big names. Uh, some some other surprise uh, guest stars. Christopher Walken has a, a, a pretty scene-stealing turn in the film as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about all that stuff. We are. Uh, it's from 94, too, if you're interested. Pulp Fiction. If you're wondering. 1994. Did not win an Oscar. Do you know what film beat Pulp Fiction in the Oscar race? And here's the thing. like This is this is one of the more controversial Oscar years, period. You had, you had, Last of the Mohicans. Nope. Uh, you had uh, uh, Pulp Fiction as best picture, a quiz show, which whatever. The Shawshank Redemption... Okay. Four Weddings and a Funeral, and Forrest Gump. I could see Shawshank Redemption winning it. <laughs> Forrest Gump won. I know. Yeah. And in in retrospect, that seemed like I, I don't. I have nothing against Forrest Gump. It's it's a mm-hmm. heartwarming film. It's a well made film. It stars Tom Hanks. He's, he's a critical darling. The further you get down in time, like Pulp Fiction and The Shawshank Redemption are movies with staying power. Yeah. Forrest Gump, I don't. Not so much. Uh, Robert Zemeckis won as best director for Forrest Gump over Quentin Tarantino. Really? Now that's that's the biggest tragedy. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like, like, I mean, maybe the Academy just wasn't ready for a film like this. Yeah, maybe it surprised them and they didn't know what to make of it. Yep. So, hmm. you know, some of the need the best actors, like you know, Tom Hanks won over uh, Morgan Freeman in The Shawshank Redemption and John Travolta for Pulp Fiction. I think I should. we should award it uh, Retroactive Baldy. Okay. <laughs> 1994 Retroactive Baldy. 2016 Boomerang. We can have a Boomerang Baldy. <laughs> we can, yeah. Uh, but no, I think that's uh, that's uh, one of the one of the all time Oscar upsets. Sure, yeah. Okay, all that out of the way. What do you think of Pulp Fiction? What is your experience? What is your? What, maybe we should go back a step further because I know I want to talk about our okay. relationship with Quentin Tarantino and Pulp Fiction. Uh, so this came out in '94. Yep. It's, it's a little early for me to be seeing movies like this. Yes. I would have I'd have been twelve at the time, and like. Yep. I was in high school. Reservoir Dogs was not on my radar. Pulp Fiction was not on my radar. So I saw it a little bit later. I think maybe like five years after it came out or so. Okay. Uh, So still in my teens and still kind of primed for this badass, smooth-talking action flick, right? Sure, sure. Uh, And the fact that it twisted up your noodle, was was, this thing blew my mind. I mean, this was one of the most insane, awesome movies I had seen to date. I'm trying to think if this is the first movie I saw that played with this kind of weird, twisted time. Yeah. Certainly in this way. You know, I mean, like, there are other ways of playing with it, like like a memento right. or something that sure. kind of goes in reverse But I even saw that later. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but this this was totally unique as far as I was aware at the time. The funny thing is my first experience with this show was probably four or five years after it came out uh there on fox late nights the local fox affiliate they would show on weekends movies like pulp fiction mm-hmm. so i set my vcr to record it um there again i was probably 21 2021 20, when i first moved out of my parents house uh uh-huh. didn't have cable or anything uh and i wasn't up that's and that's something i that i remember was a thing amongst you know, people of our religious uh, fundamentalist persuasion is you could maybe watch a rated R movie if it was on network television because they would take out the quote unquote bad things. Oh, yeah. So that's like, you know, it's like not exactly according to Hoyle, but it's something you get away with. So I recorded this thing and it was like almost four hours long Mm -hmm. with commercials and and whatnot. But what I really remember is there were some scenes were utterly incomprehensible. Like, for example, when Bruce Willis goes down, when Butch goes down the staircase to mm-hmm. save Marcellus Wallace, it cuts, it, it it jump cuts from him going down the stairs to him slicing Maynard across the chest to some kind of zoomed in slow mo turn of the the and I I I, I the, the that totally I think dodges him stabbing him in the gut, yep. and you're re- you're left to kind of piece together. Uh, you know, again, as a 20, 21 year old, very sexually sheltered person, you're trying to piece <laughs> together exactly what the what was going on in a basement. OK, you saw the gimp, though. Right? No, like, no, you do not. You see don't the see gimp. Bruce Willis escape. You do not. No, no. <laughs> oh it shows gosh. him breaking out of his thing and then he goes upstairs. <laughs> but no, the gimp is never seen. All dialogue references to the gimp are taken out. Wow. You don't see shit. I mean, you see him in like the ball gags. 
So it's like sure, I sure. was I was thinking that he was being tortured, and then I guess there is the hillbilly <laughs> rapist line. He is being tortured, but no, yeah. it's like it's you really like what the fuck just happened? I mean, you're, yeah, you're I'm already kind of like that watching the movie. Yeah, going, yeah, yeah. What the fuck is happening in this? And basement? also the TV edits for dialogue. Uh, almost every instance of motherfucker becomes my friend. Uh, sure, or little sucker. I, I've got clips here yeah. that we can play. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so commence the playing. You're a smart motherfucker, that's right. You're a smart little sucker, that's right. Go home, jerk off, and that's all you're gonna do. Go home, cool off, and that's all you're gonna do. My eyes are wide fucking open. My eyes are wide focused open. What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? What? English, little sucker, do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, my friend. Say what one more damn time. I mean, you think of some of the profanity-laced speeches in Pulp Fiction, you take that out of it. It's like, but, but what's it? I'm saying all this to say that even in this highly degraded, worst-case scenario viewing of Pulp Fiction, I still mm-hmm. realize I was watching something great. Yeah, something like I would was, call a masterpiece along the lines of The Godfather, you know? It's not about the action. It's not necessarily about the cinematography, although that stuff is uh, – well, the action is It's all of a piece, I think, you know? But the dialogue in particular Absolutely. is just so cool. It's so quotable. Um, it's And I had heard nothing like it before. I definitely saw sure. this before I saw Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Uh, Reservoir Dogs is, you know, this this kind of thing, but kind of Pulp Fiction is more amped up. Yeah, like all of the characters are like this, and sure, and it's it's more, I don't know, more colorful. Yeah, I Reservoir guess. Dogs felt like a high school paper, research paper, and then uh-huh. Pulp Fiction felt like a college thesis. Yeah, I, like the skills of 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 directing and and staging and everything was just leap was a light year beyond what was going on in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, th- this movie is eminently quotable. I. I remember just watching it, and my parents wouldn't have wanted me to quote it. Sure. Because it's got some horrible shit in it. But, I mean, Sam Jackson cleaning up brains in a car saying, I'm a mushroom cloud laid motherfucker, motherfucker. How do you back-to-back two motherfuckers and have it sound cool? Well, yeah. you hire Sam Jackson. That's how you do it. Yeah. No. And just like you know, even even Marcellus, I'm going to get medieval on your ass. Uh-huh. Like the stuff that he says just in the stream of consciousness, um, it's so good. It's great. Like that yeah. line, yeah, I'm going to get some pipe-hitting brothers to come work you <laughs> over with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to get medieval on your ass. It's just, oh, man, it's it's really good. Because it's something yeah. – Gus, that's the thing. Like I, 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 I listen to Jules and Vincent talk. And they're talking in this kind of gutter patois, right? This, this, you sure, know, everything's yeah. kind of like the way we talk, right? Motherfucker uh-huh. this, motherfucker that, bullshit and this. But they're having kind of an evolved conversation. Yeah, these like, aren't stupid guys, right? No, they're, they're debating topics and giving ground and, and recognizing points. And, and I also, some of the stuff is so trivial mm-hmm. that it really catches, like, you know, the Royale with cheese is cool, but it's cool because that's the kind of normal, stupid bullshit that you talk about with your friends mm-hmm. when you're on the way to the mall or and then and these guys are on the way to the hit. <laughs> so yeah. it's like 
every other movie, if you know, they would have just been in silence, and you might have heard cool like techno music playing, or they'd be they'd talk about the job. Kind of, and they do mm-hmm. that a little bit, like we should have shotguns, but that's you know clearly these are just two regular dudes. But and it's, I, it seems like it's in the course of a an yeah. sort of thing. Uh, and you contrast that with kind of the characters who I do think are stupid in this, which is uh, Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer, their characters, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin. Yeah, is that right? Uh, I I don't agree with the premise that robbing restaurants is easier because. They they somehow claim that the hero factor is reduced. I think that's a big fat fucking lie, as evidenced here. Well, right? yeah, I mean they got I, more people equals more chance for a hero factor. And if you're going for this giant ass restaurant, which you can't sure. possibly cover all of with two people, then I think it depends on. I think they're a little dumb. A little in slow. Los in Los Angeles, maybe like in California, that's got a lot tougher gun gun laws. That I think, and if you go to a cafe in the morning, you're probably safer. Okay, but that's the thing. Like, I feel like that. I, I mean, it's interesting to hear you say that uh, you thought that Honey Bunny and um, Bunch of Crunch or whatever pumpkin. Yep. pumpkin were dumb. I actually think they were portrayed in the early goings of the movie as an intelligent criminal, but they're just but they're eclipsed upstage. by the super yeah. apex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of like I the, the Penny Arcade guys did a visual goof because there was a. Uh, um, a Splinter Cell and a Batman that came out like uh, on the same week, and they uh, did this comic, and it, it was called The Circle of Life, and it has like some some mook in a ski mask with assault rifle at the bottom, and then the next panel you you pan up and it's it's Sam Fisher, you know, doing his little split split thing on the hallway with his knife drawn, and then you go pan up and it's Batman hanging upside down in predator mode. Uh-huh. It's like. Yeah, maybe maybe a Honey Bunny and the Pumpkin were the Sam Fisher in this situation, but Jules is the Batman. I feel like they're the ones who think they're smart criminals. Like That's... we've come up with an original idea, but in reality they haven't, and it's kind right. of not a great idea to begin right. with. And right. Of course, committing crimes is probably not. A well, that's great the idea thing. Like, if you with. if you take a Venn diagram of criminals yeah. and smart people, there's not the you know it's it's a small very small overlap. overlap. But that's mm-hmm. a scary overlap. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but that's the know. other thing is like these, they're, but, but they refute their own point. Like right. nobody robs restaurants because there are so many people around. Right. Um, and I, you know, I think it, especially if you did that in like fucking Texas or, oh, you God. know, rural <laughs> Ohio or something yeah. like that, you would get your head blown off by several people. I'm actually surprised that that doesn't, hasn't happened more often. Like in a active gunner situation that you don't have civilian gun gunner just I know it's happening on an occasion because I think a civilian marksman took down the guy who holed up in a water tower in Texas and but it's like as as all as as much guns and as many people that carry the United States I'm actually surprised there haven't been for good or ill more of those things happen Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not just that they're everyday conversations that these guys are having but it's like the most interesting version of an everyday conversation. Sure. Yeah. You know? It's a selected. Yeah. It's like this sort of guy thing, just got curated. back from from Holland. He's talking about the drug scene, and yeah. or this guy just you know the, their water cooler talk is one of their coworkers got thrown out of a window. Yeah, uh, and it really serves to to kind of diagram those characters for you, right? Yeah. These are the things that they're concerned about on a daily basis. Yeah. Kind of conversations they have, and it also goes a really long way with this this conversation about Mia and Marcellus and uh, Antoine. Uh, yes, to, I w- to building up Ving Rhames' character as sure. a very scary guy that you don't want to mess with. And, but you don't. 
he he's kind of like Jaws in the fact that you see all these things that he's doing, but the co- you don't know the context because sure him throwing a, a man out a window because he touched his woman his his wife's feet is one level, and then maybe him throwing him out of a window for le- quote unquote legitimate business disagreement <laughs> is another thing, and uh-huh. yeah, and then also it's like have the conversation this you could have the same conversation that Vince and Jules had, which is. You know, maybe you don't expect. Well, if let's say that uh, that Antoine or what was the guy's name? You said was it Tony? Antoine Tony Rakahara. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's say that uh, he did rub Mia Wallace's feet. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe he didn't expect to be thrown out of a window, but you had to expect some kind of reaction because yeah, that's offensive. You don't. I'm, rub- I'm with Vincent. Yeah, I think, I think there's more to it than just giving, you know, and and so does Jules. That's the thing because Ju- when Vincent sure. says, "Would you give a man a foot massage?" Yeah, would you rub my feet? Fuck I'm, you! <laughs> I've, I've had a heart. I'm kind of tired. I could use a foot massage right now. No. So obviously, he's Jules agrees more than he's letting on. So, what do you think the truth of the matter is? And I think that's the, that's gr- a really the great thing question. about this movie is there's there's a lot of themes. There is truth versus fiction. Yeah. Which I think you know the whole pulp fiction idea plays with. There is the concept of honor and integrity. Mm. There's also the concept of these windows of time. These these serendipitous like, if you'd left thirty seconds sooner, none of this would have happened. Or if you had waited thirty <laughs> seconds later, none of this would have happened. Sure. Like this movie, and I that kind of stuff usually bothers me. Coincidences like that, but they're so intricately layered and they're so radically different in. Kind of like whether something good or bad has happened and before or after and whether it was pride or fear or what that I, I don't know. Like the whole movie is a circum is, is a series of circumstances and coincidences that kind of beggared the belief all put together. <laughs> but it all kind the hangs. And and I feel like in, in the larger scale, Tarantino stuff is like that, too, because like these conversations they're having when they're completely mundane. Right. They, they not only serve to outline the characters, but somehow you get caught up in them. And and it's not like... Like in Reservoir Dogs, I mean, that, that movie is half dialogue. Like, it's half one scene just sure. in a diner talking about shit for sure. 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, he He has this way of just wrapping you up in a conversation that you feel like you could be having and that you're interested in, but is totally mundane. And with the actor's performances, it actually informs you a lot about the character's without yeah. having them do anything. Like, you start to sure. feel like, I've got a handle on these guys and how they roll before you see them brutally gunned down in an apartment full of college dudes. Yeah, yeah. And I I mean, one of the things I took note of, I guess, is kind of the economy, both, you know, the lavish expenditure of time on conversation and also the economy of it, because, like, when he's talking about that Royale with cheese, mm-hmm. Sam Jackson's like, <laughs> he's laughing about it. He's sure. having a good time. He's sure. reacting to it. He never, he never says the words that make you, that make you understand. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. He does, he's not like, Oh, Royale with cheese. I like that. No, yeah. he's just like Royale with cheese. And he laughs. Uh-huh. And, and it's, it feels both economic and also very indulgent at yeah. the same time. And then it also, but it, it, if they just used it for that, that would be great. Yeah. But then they springboard, and the next scene when they're talking to uh, Brad, and Brad yeah. knows why, or he guesses, he he surmises why it's the Royale with you know Royale with cheese in France. Uh-huh. It lets you know that Brad is is a smart guy. 
Sure. Maybe not as smart as he thought he was because he thought he could, you know, outsmart Vincent Wallace uh, on Marcellus, or not Vincent, yeah. Marcellus Wallace on whatever business venture they're in. But sure. You know, and I don't, I don't know what that business venture is other than obtaining the suitcase. Like, so maybe he's the Sam Fisher in the circle of life. Uh, the Yolanda and Hun- and uh, all right and, and yeah. Pumpkin are down at the bottom. And then you got the bad motherfucker at the then top. You got the bat <laughs> motherfucker at the top. Sure. Uh, so let's talk about this foot massage. What do you think the truth is? What's the true version I, of events? I when when Mia tells Vincent that that's not what happened and he never touched her aside from a handshake at her wedding, mm-hmm. I believe her. The, Why? I don't know if it's. I think it's just because of Uma Thurman's matter of fact reaction and her acting abilities has convinced me. But let's so let's say some coincident. Let's say some circumstances in which this story would be true. Uh, mm-hmm. Does Marcellus and Mia have some weird fetish where he engineers situations for his men to be in compromising situations with Mia. Uh She seduces them and he walks in outraged and then kills (laughs) them. Throws them off a building. Which is what gets him hard or her moist or whatever. Like, is that feels like something I I would believe these characters would do. In which case, she would have to vigorously deny any involvement because then the, the jig would be jigs up, up. Yeah. yeah. The, the other option is uh, that Marcellus is just testing his men's loyalty. Yeah. And, the, and that Mia is, in fact, trying to seduce them, but not so Marcellus can get his jollies off, but so he can know who's really sure to be trusted. Sure. Um, and another is that this actually happened exactly the way it was presented, um, and that Mia does like to color outside the lines, but doesn't like to be called on it or doesn't want to admit to it. Mm. Or maybe it was like, you know, it was, it was non-consensual. Like the foot shop is maybe selling it short and she's doesn't want to uh, admit that. Or she's an independent Mm. woman and maybe she thought she could fight her own battles and Vincent threw the guy off the balcony and she doesn't like that. So she did not. I mean, there's all kinds of, like, I'm surprised that you just take her point of view as gospel yeah it's the way she says it uh i i just believe her okay uh and so i think marcellus in my opinion has thrown antoine off the building for other reasons mm. probably business related not he, foot massage related because pride was fucking with him yeah maybe so <laughs> maybe maybe he was supposed to take a fall and so marcellus was like yeah you're gonna take a fall all right can i ask you something why is samuel jackson so intimidating because at face value, he's just kind of it's like his eyes. Man. He's a he's a skinny guy mm-hmm. with a weird haircut who's yelling crazy stuff. <laughs> sure, like it reminds me when I was I had a hard time as a child because my dad, when he was yelling, would very be very colorful in both swearing and the descriptive metaphor, and occasionally, uh, is it's that it's that uh, you know kind of like you're not supposed to laugh in church. You're yeah. certainly not supposed to laugh at your father when he's dressing you down, but sometimes God, no. he would say shit so funny that I would go, like, and then the beatings would begin. <laughs> sure. Uh, but uh, I don't understand why Why is Samuel Jackson so fucking intimidating? I think it's his eyes. I think the way he looks at you, he's he's kind of got a little bit of like a wide-eyed confidence, a wide-eyed That's, certainty. He that, walks in, he eats your sandwich, he drinks all of your big gulp. Yeah. All of it. Drinks it to the bottom. Yeah. (laughs) And you're right. It's like he owns the room, and it's like someone that's that's confident is, I guess, is is a dangerous person. 
I suppose so. I mean, because when, if, when he's that if he wasn't dangerous, goals. someone would have killed him by now. Because he just walk, you know, you can't just walk into rooms eating men sandwiches and drinking their drinks and massaging feet and and <laughs> and clean and and not. You know, you, you live a short ass life if that's how you live and and that's how you roll and you can't back it up. Or maybe the hand of God is has graced him and true and that he, he's being watched over. Do we have Samuel Certainly Jackson on our badass list? Because if not, I think so. It he's is got, a he's got the charisma. That's he's for got sure. the charisma. And he's got the he's got the characters. He's got the yeah. roles. He's got badass role after badass role. I don't do you, I don't know if he has a third C, but do you, you know. think if we talk about the you know because I, I think this is Quentin Tarantino's best movie. I agree. I, now, although I haven't seen Jackie Brown. What is interesting you and say I hear that it's very good. It is very good. And and what 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 really blew me away is Adam Savage was talking about his relationship with Quentin Tarantino in a podcast about six seven weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I heard that one. And he mentioned that's his favorite film. Yeah, which I that that really blew me, surprised me, blew me. Huh. And, I, and I never know with Adam whether sometimes he does that just as an, an, a, like almost a hipster way. Okay. Like everyone says, Pulp Fiction. So I'm going to say Jackie Brown or uh, surprisingly neither. Eric or Levi in the direct podcast said that this is their favorite uh, Quentin Tarantino movie. Which one did they say? I think Eric said Inglorious Bastards. Ooh. And I think Levi said Django Unchained, but it could be the other way around. So that's certainly more polished work. Yeah. Like Inglorious Bastards. But I also and don't think it's as, as interesting, honestly. Like, hmm. it's. It's colorful in a in a way that feels a little more forced to me. Yeah. Like this just feels like a dude who's writing the shit out of a movie. Yeah. Like he just knows what cool is and he's putting it on the screen. But uh, so where I was going with this whole conversation is that I don't think anyone is going to put The Hateful Eight as their favorite Quentin Tarantino movie, although probably someone will email I me certainly just to wouldn't. spite me. I didn't um, like that movie much at all. It, it, it feels like so. So Quentin's fallen in love with these heart of darkness tales. Like that's kind of the tales he likes to tell, and they keep mm-hmm. getting more and more the distilled essence. Like I want a a elite band of Jewish soldiers to personally take down Hitler. Okay. I want an African American slave uh, and a dentist and a, and, <laughs> well, and a German bounty hunter. <laughs> yeah, the, the dentist to single handedly take down the most evil slave owner in. Mm fictional u.s slave history and 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 also the way he kind of uses sam jackson as a crutch like okay. i that he like and i feel like that sam jackson has to get more and more and more extreme in his speeches and his mannerisms and everything to keep kind of being as entertaining as he was in pulp fiction to the extent that True. it almost yeah. like there's parts in Hateful Eight where he gets to that, you know, where he really just gets in a fever pitch about what he's done oh, yeah. to the Civil War general's son. Mm-hmm. And, like, I start to laugh despite myself, but, like, I don't know that there's that much more mileage that he can get out of it. Like, I, I feel like Quentin Tarantino, if he wants to continue making movies, and I, I think don't think he does. I think he wants to make a couple more. He yeah. said he wants to make ten. He's made eight now. Yeah. I, I think that if that's if this is the stories he's going to continue to tell, I, I don't know how many more I'm interested in watching. Yeah, I I mean, in some ways, Sam Jackson is a victim of his own success, right? How yeah. do you one-up yourself every time? Uh, it's tough. And seeing 
this kind of thing for the first time is always going to be more affecting sure. than seeing it five, six times later. It's kind of like, you know, everyone's got their favorite Guy Ritchie film, and it's probably the first one they watch. Yeah, Lockstock because if you the start first one like, I saw, it, that's my favorite. And <laughs> if you started with Snatch, then Lockstock is just a copy of that. And, yeah. You know, have you seen Rock and Roll, though? I haven't, no. That is an actually <laughs> slightly different spin on it. Okay. Um, but I, but it's still, yeah, I feel like if whatever one you watch first, it's like a rock, paper, scissors, the others are yeah. so derivative and of a piece. And I think Quentin is, is dodged that largely because his productions become bigger and bigger and more skillful and larger in scope and, and crazier and over the top. But yeah. And the cast get bigger and, and he never, and like, a, you know, this guy builds tension like nobody else. And I've yeah. noticed like, you know, in the scene where you're waiting for Vince to stab, a Mia in the heart and it's uh-huh. like this long count and pauses to look at everybody's face and the sweaty chest and the raised needle and like it just drags that that out forever uh-huh. but it feels like he only knows how to break that tension with like a big bloody display and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of okay with that <laughs> like, I, I, I like uh, what it is it's it's gotten too predictable and I think for Pulp you Fiction, for you I uh, I enjoy that stuff Hmm. No problem. So what was your here. problem with Hateful Eight then? Boring. Boring as fuck through most of the whole like beginning of it. Huh. It's too long. It's way too long. So by the time the guns came out, you were you were fine. Like if they just cut an hour out of the middle, you'd have liked it better. Yeah. See, I'm yeah. I think that the interesting thing about Pulp Fiction is the tension was broken in other ways. Like a lot of times, yeah, it was some shocking instance of violence. But there was also the human heart restarting and you know, just other other yeah. moments like that that it wasn't so over the top, crazy, bloody. But then again, Marvin's okay. heads explode. Yeah, so. I, sure. But I, I think you know Sam Jackson also is not nearly as quotable in the other movies that he's been in with Tarantino. I mean, this is of all those movies the most quotable. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose you are right. Right. I mean, there's there's just no dialogue that's as cool in those other ones. It's, it takes itself a little more seriously and is trying to. You know, have actual normal normal dialogue. He might. I to mean, a degree. he had some good stuff in Hateful Eight, but I've only seen it once, and I don't think that has had time to percolate. And that's the other thing. Like Pulp Fiction was a phenomenon. Yeah. Like when it came out, it was, uh, you know, it's one of those movies that just it's like on, it's an SNL skit. Like Jay Leno's going to hit it up. They're going to do, uh, you know, Oscar. Like when the Oscars are airing, they're going to have a Pulp Fiction goof. Mm-hmm. Uh, the t- unlicensed T-shirts are going to be made of this. Uh, you're going to see people walking around with banana slug T-shirts, all that kind of crazy stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. sure. Uh, I hmm. whatever you think about Quentin Tarantino as a writer and director, and maybe the crutches he leans on, I have to say he is without a doubt the worst part of this movie. Huh? His acting is not good. And now he's standing up next to fucking all stars. Sure. It's impossible to outdo Samuel L. Jackson here. It's mm-hmm. impossible to outdo even John Travolta or Bruce Willis, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Ving Rhames. Across the board, everybody is great except for him. He's the fucking dud right. in this movie. And I almost think putting himself in these movies, while I understand the desire to do that and how cool it must be, yeah, I think it makes the movies worse. I think he should kind of just stay off the screen. Stay hmm. behind it. Do you think... Hmm. I, cause I, I, he doesn't bug me. I thought he gave, I mean, it's certainly not a distracting performance. I'm a little distracted. It's a little stiff. 
especially when compared like when he's playing opposite Sam Jackson. Did you cuz here's the thing, I didn't have I know I didn't have that reaction when I first saw this movie and it's because I did not know what Quentin Tarantino looked like. I had no oh, idea okay. that was Quentin Tar- Tarantino uh-huh. and I wonder how much of that is kind of like the uh, Sofia Coppola reaction. It's like if you know that's his hmm. daughter and you don't know the fact that he didn't cast that because of nepotism, it's going to make you seem like, what a fucking ego. This guy put himself yeah. in a movie just so he can say the N-word to Sam Jackson. Well, I don't think that's the reason. I think he just thinks it's cool to no, be no, in his I, own of movies. Of course, but I, I'm, I'm just giving but, yeah, the most yeah. amped up, crazy like I, I audience you. reaction to that. Yeah. And I actually You're laying have mushrooms, read... Cl- mushroom clouds. I'm laying mushroom clouds, mother. I have seen people <laughs> le- uh, you know, allege that, though. Okay. I mean, think you know that's that's. I mean, with what intent? Like, is is his intent to offend Sam Jackson? Does he want no. to be controversial? No, to get I people think talking. Like, I think it's kind of like um, I don't know. It's the line between ironic racism and real racism, and how those lines kind of get blurred. I think some people he does are like deal with that. Yeah. He is trying to be ironically, or like this is the way authentic people will talk. But that's the other thing is like we were when we were watching this again. I mentioned. Why in the hell is Jules in business with Jimmy? What possible yeah. business could they partner. have? Yeah. What, what kind of partner? I thought he was partners with. And I'm not saying Claus. that white guy, white gangsters, and black gangsters can't work together. I'm just sure. saying this bathrobe wearing Peruvian coffee yeah. brewing uh, nur- nurse wife having motherfucker. Is he his accountant? Like <laughs> maybe? Because what role does he play in the criminal organization? Because he also. He, he also can he talk and he also talks to Jules like they got history like you can't you know not anyone can and I know yeah. Jules he owes him a favor and blah 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 but still even then it's like that's as dangerous as kind of like talking down the vents so he's he's not just like I mean, maybe they caught him on a Sunday and it's like you know normally he's dressed up in the suit toting the gun you know yeah, maybe he's so literally a badass. maybe he's usually the John Travolta in that scenario huh you know, they caught him on an off day. I don't know. It seems like that, that you know, John Travolta, it just seems like those characters, Vince and Jules, are not the types that have wives and girlfriends that are... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the thing, like, um, and I want to talk about Bruce Willis's lady friend. Okay. We because will. I, to me, I think she's by far the worst thing in this movie. Okay. Like, we'll she, she, Quentin Tarantino's two, three, four belts above her in acting level. Wow. She's terrible. Um, I okay. I might not argue too hard against that. Do you want to talk about the? I mean, I feel like we're it's this is an obligatory thing. You have to talk about Pulp Fiction, the fucking suitcase and the band aid and all that. Lore. Sure, we got to talk about it. Uh, it's the most asked question: What's in the suitcase? What is literally in the suitcase is an orange light bulb. Yeah, with a battery pack. Next question: uh, What is supposed to be in the suitcase according to the movie? So Quentin Tarantino said that it's uh. And this is the first time I heard this expression. Uh, it's a MacGuffin. Okay. It literally is whatever the audience wants it to be. And now yeah. some people have taken and they get this elaborate, like, it's a soul theory. that that Yeah, in Chinese his- historical fiction or something. Like, yeah, the soul's extracted through your spinal cord. And that's and why. And this is Marcel's Wallace's soul because we see yeah, the Band-Aid on the back of his neck. That's what would be beautiful. But I don't think, I mean, if it is a soul, I don't think Marcel's Wallace's soul could be described as beautiful. Number I, one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, number two, I always thought it was like a case full of Nazi gold. Yeah, I thought it was a brick of gold because it has to be something that Tim Roth 
is gonna recognize. Yeah, like someone right? did, like is that what I like, think it is? Yeah, or like are you are we happy? Oh, we're like this. Is... Like if I asked you right now, what do you think the physical manifestation of a soul would look like? Who the hell knows? You would have no no fucking sure. clue. And if you saw it, you wouldn't say, "Hey, that's is that what I think it is? A soul? Yeah. No, it no. might melt my face off if I look directly at it. I don't, I don't want that. Yeah, I think the most obvious thing is probably a, a gold bar. I was thinking, like, you know how you see in the movies, like, uh, the Italian job, they had, like, these these gold ingots, you know, like, uh-huh. like just, just row after, kind of like a case full of, the only thing more impressive than a case full of cash is a case full of single stacked yeah. gold bricks. Like There's those, no, no denser form no. of, of finance. Now, I will say that I don't, the only reason that can't be is because every single time Jules whipped that thing and threw it on the counter, it would, like, hit, like, a case full of bowling balls. Yeah, unless it was, like, one brick, it'd still be real heavy. Yeah, and it's kind of, like, packed all in foam. Yeah, why, you like know? you would pack a gun or something sure, in a case like sure. that. Sure, sure. Uh, the other thing I've heard is it's potentially the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. Mm. But uh, why would but it, it glow? glows with an orangish-yellow yeah. hue, and I, I don't know that I buy that. Although it's interesting, and I've heard Quentin Tarantino maybe say that all of his stuff is connected in a couple of different universes, like a, a real universe and then like a movie universe that is attached to the real universe. Yeah. I don't know. It's just I just looked up. So 10 pounds it. of gold, which is what I estimate a brick would weigh, somewhere between 10 and 20, is like $160,000. Yeah. If it was 20 pounds, it would be, which I think about the heaviest a brick could be, it would be like 340000 I've, I've seen Gold Rush. I know. I know. Yeah. A little tiny jar of gold is worth quite a bit. Yeah, that'd be 320000 So it's like, that's 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 a lot of money for one one piece of solid stuff. Definitely. It's the most expensive thing you could probably take and throw out a window and it'd still be worth the same amount of money when it hit the ground. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so okay. I what So what I observed uh, when I was looking at it is it looked like that um, uh, Vin Rang... Ving Rames. Rames. God damn it. Vin God damn it. Vin, Vin number. Uh, that his neck was extremely back, uh, broken out. Okay. And like, it looked like the Band-Aid was... You could see kind of like the breakout leak in it. So maybe Quentin's yeah, yeah. like, man, we're doing an extreme... We can see your fucking pores, Ving. You want to slap a, you want to slap a, a Band-Aid over that, you know? Or the uh, other thing is that this is apocryphal. I've not... I, I haven't seen confirmation... But someone said that he, the Vin Rang, either had surgery or like something removed, or had uh, significantly cut himself shaving. What? Oh, yeah. I guess he does shave. His yeah, head. he shaves the whole fucking thing. Clearly, <laughs> okay. yeah. What? I'm like, what? How's he cut back? Oh, yeah, the guy's bald. <laughs> um, and that Quentin was afraid that, like, if they had this unexplained graphic injury, it would make people start thinking. With the pair, with the weird time structure. People would be like, "Oh, there's a missing scene," or "We're we're going to wait to see how he gets his head split open." But he's got to understand that that just makes it worse, right? It's more conspicuous—a giant ass band aid across the man's head. But if it was like if it's stitched, like that bad of a cut, maybe I, I heard that it was that... Ving Rhames had the scar back there, and he was self conscious, like didn't want it on screen. Okay, because the other thing is, this is one of his first roles. That people pointed out that in other movies, you can see a big scar right where that band aid was. Oh, okay, and then that's why I say it's apocryphal because no one knows exactly how or why he got it. Yeah, but if it was like a fresh stitched wound, I could see covering that up because yeah, that would sure. you know with the topsy turvy nature of time, I think people would be like, oh, I wonder when he's going to get this. I wonder when he's going to get this, and yeah people would be at the end of the movie and f- still thinking there's more to come. I don't Little know. did you know, it's the same character from Entrapment, and he has the Band-Aid there, too. Um, That's not true. <laughs> I So, man, what is... 
I got another question for okay. you that's trivial, and yet people love to talk about it. Sure. Who keyed Vincent's car? My theory is Butch. I think that's the prevailing theory on the internet, and I I I agree with it mostly. Like I think the timing lines up. So if you think about it, like Jules is driving his car to Marvin's place, uh, to Brett's place, well, Brad's place, whatever his name. I, is. I actually have a theory on that. I don't think that was either of their cars. I think that was deliberately oh, really? a car that they could ditch when the job they you know it's an unmarked because it, it's a beat up piece of shit car yeah even before they blew marvin's head off and it, it has rust spots and this and that so i always thought that this was like a clean car that they got and they probably paid cash for it and they they use it to get to and from this job and they were going to ditch it at some point okay at the very least we know it's not vincent's car right perfect so i assume I assume that Vincent's car is at the club, and I can't tell you exactly why I assume that, other than it makes sense that he would be going over there to pick up his car when he's in the shorts, and he couldn't have gone home for his own car why in the not? shorts because he would change clothes. I mean, a man like that is but not going to run around. When in we those... see him at his drug dealer's house, he is in his his fine clothes again. Yeah, so he it must have been after the club that he went home, got his car, and changed, right? Sure. Now he meets Bruce Willis in that club. Yep. First time they've met. In the banana he insults sweatshirt. him. He calls yep. him a palooka, punchy, sure. whatever. And and Bruce Willis is gonna start a fight right there, but then he's all huggy uh, with, sure. with Vincent and Marcellus, and he leaves thinking That's better of it. Start of pride, fucking with him. And I think he went outside and keyed Vincent's car I as so retribution. Too. The only possible plot hole is that Bruce Willis has to guess. Which car is his, yeah. But I guess you see Vincent Vega. Although Vincent, you know, he's just a long-haired dude in some funny clothes. Like, I don't know that you go out and like, oh, this big caddy with the drop top. That's yeah. That's what he's driving. Yeah. I, th- it's a little bit of a stretch that he would guess whose car was whose. But on the other hand, how many cars are parked out front of this bar in, in the uh, There's the Paul's car, potentially Jules' and he, car, and, hmm. and Marcellus. So well, that's maybe the thing three is, max. Bruce, I don't think, is unaware of marcellus wallace's organization like they clearly are aware of each other and yeah nah, maybe I think not that, i think maybe they've met would, for the first he, time he wouldn't here. recognize paul's car yeah i don't think so or who we're calling paul uh, maybe maybe he's been in this place before has he taken a fall before do we know that no i think this or is the first, first fall because okay. and this is why because he's explaining this is how pride's gonna fuck with you yeah, this is why marcellus is targeting feels. him because he doesn't have that many fights left and you know the, the yeah. logic he uses a sound like how many fights do you think you got left yeah and you made it far but you didn't make it and you know so it's not so gonna you, make it now you're too late in your career and also like if you're going to make it to the top you would have done it by now yeah so why not cash out one last thing and uh, so that's my sense. answer. I think it makes sense that Bruce Willis did it. Butch. Yeah, he's the clear. It, unless it's just completely unrelated to anyone else in the film. Yeah, maybe Jules did it as a joke. Hey, I'm gonna go walk to Earth. You're too uptight about material possessions, Vincent. I'm gonna, Teach him I'm, a I'm, I'm gonna help you out. <sighs> yeah. All right. I have a question for you. Okay. Ringo and Yolanda. I know it's Ringo's not his real name. It's Pumpkin. Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Mm-hmm. They're done with robberies now, right? The way that they walk out of that diner, I, I feel like Jules has talked some sense into these people. Well, so here's the thing, though. The entire conversation they were having previously in, in, in the prologue was you always say you're never going to do this again. And you always lay out very good reasons and why the last one went almost disastrously yeah. wrong. Yeah. And you always talk yourself back into doing it. And it's kind of like this... People are trapped. I, 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 
I would want, if it was me and I had that experience, I would swear off robbing places and yeah. never do it again. These characters, I don't know. Okay, let me ask you this then. Do you buy that Jules is going to walk the earth and quit what he's doing? I think he will take a stab at it. Now, what I don't know about Jules is once the money dries up and, you know, uh, he, he being kind of a hothead and, like, can he really be that kind of sure. Caradine-esque <laughs> monk that just goes around and has adventures and helps people? And does kung fu, yeah. Because he's trying real hard at the end of this movie dealing with this. and Yeah. I don't know. Because the the, I think that Vincent had some pers- persuasive points about being a bum like you've been walking around in a suit and you've been respected and you've been feared and you know you've never had a situation you couldn't take care of and you've always had money and probably women and drugs if you're into that kind of thing and you're going to go well 180 because of this miraculous thing of course the thing is is like you know this is what we've always talked about like the, the the reason i think religious people can be religious is that if you personally feel the hand of God in your life, that's something I've never felt. So if he actually had it, and I think that's a, a smart point the movie made. It's not just the circumstantial, we got unloaded at close range by this hand cannon. And you look behind us and there's yeah. bullet holes behind us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that Jules actually felt the hand of God on that, scene yeah whether or not it's real it doesn't matter it was the weird thing with the spiritual experience he had that that came together so i I don't know i mean those those so i I feel like before the apostle paul was paul he was saul and the bible tells us he was uh (laughs) putting christ brothers to the sword as a hobby uh so i i mean i guess that's part of the reason why i think that maybe honey bunny and pumpkin are done Mm. or or at least pumpkin is going to push things that way because like, I do feel like Samuel Jackson's turn here was genuine and that he's like you said, at least going to give it a shot. But here's you know? the thing that I, I come back to though, cause I thought about this a lot. Okay. And, and this, uh, the one of the first things I did when I saw this movie is I looked up Ezekiel and cause I'm like, man, I've That's never heard. Yeah. I'm like, that sounds like an amalgamation of different scriptures or kind of from the Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. Uh, uh-huh. Ch- ch- the section like the you know the the Jews wander you know being in captivity kind of kind of thing. I looked at that. Not only is that not with that verse, that verse and chapter are not in the Bible. Yeah, the the, the chapter it's the book stops before then. So what does it say <laughs> that you've got a holy man quoting a fake passage out of a fake Bible? Does that yeah. is that a wink saying that this is not a genuine conversion? That this is maybe a phase he's going through. It could be because this is now the new cool and sick, you know, like which would tie into that speech about that Tim Roth is like it almost kind of like you could see it as almost a way that feeds into someone's ego. Like here's this badass gangster who just ruthlessly murders people after fucking with their head, and now God Himself has come down to take a personal interest in you. Yeah. So it could be almost an ego trip thing that he'll eventually come down off of. But I I don't know. I thought that the the fake scripture. The fact that he's felt a hand of God and that he's citing a false Bible. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's something. It means something. Or it's something you can read into it anyway. Sure. Uh, Speaking of that scene, that diner scene. Yeah. There's a – what I figure must be a continuity error here uh, between the the two bookends, right? The – the scene in the at the very beginning in the diner yeah. where they're shouting, sure. they they jump up, they start the robbery. This is a robbery! I'm gonna kill every motherfucking last one of you. Mother loving in the uh, fox gut. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> Probably something stupider than that. Yeah. But yeah, mother loving last one of you. And then in the the second time they show that same exact scene at the end, she says something very different. Like it's not word for word. It's a little Yoda. It's it's remixed. Yeah, it's a remix on that line. So that's the first time I actually noticed that when you pointed it out. And so I, I wanted to research it and, and there's an interview from Quentin Tarantino where and you can believe this or not, he says that was intentional because I'm wanting to suggest okay. that points of view matter. And in the beginning of the story, you've got Yolanda's point of view, which is probably more or less what happened. The final scene is from Vince and Jules' point of view, and that's something that's happening in the background. And until they come fully in their point of view, they don't really – they're not paying close attention or something's getting lost in translation. Mm-hmm. Now, again, whether he just blew the continuity and is yeah. saying that yeah. as a slick way to get out of it or – I mean, Quentin Tarantino is the kind of guy I'd believe it either way. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, Tim Roth's line is exactly the same. Amanda yeah. Plummer's is not. I, I don't know. I feel like it was more like they had to shoot that from two angles, right? She like it cuts to black or it cuts to credits and music uh, in the first scene, and the second scene she's got to run off and start pointing guns sure. at people. Yeah, I, I feel like that's continuity error. Has Amanda Plummer ever played a regular normal person? She's Can like she? a slightly older version of Juliette Lewis. Like I can't think of any yeah. normal role that she's she's played. Although Juliette Lewis was in uh, the National Lampoon's A Christmas Vacation. Whether you call that a quote unquote normal role or not, she was the sister. Seriously? Yeah, I just watched that over wow. Christmas. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen that. Um, but I she I know her from two roles: this one and playing the crazy sister of Mike Myers' girlfriend. In so I married an axe murderer. Oh man, I natural yeah, natural born killers. No, I'm not talking about is, Juliet Lewis. I'm talking about Amanda. Oh, oh, okay. Plumber at this point, <laughs> playing the sister of Mike Myers. Hmm. Have you seen So I Married an Axe Murderer? Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't. She's the rose. I don't remember her in that. either. Okay, well, yeah, that's, it's been a real long time since I've seen that. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's like a. But no, she seems like she got a throwback. a character actress job playing women with screws loose. All right. I mean, if that's your thing, go for it. Yeah. I mean, you know. Why not? Uh, what else we want to talk about? Uh, something I want to talk about at the Flapjack sw- Swedes or Slim Jim Steaks or whatever the hell the restaurant's called. <laughs> uh, uh, they're having they're, they're, they're slot racing. Jackrabbit slot, Slims, sl- I Jack think. Jackrabbit Slims. Yeah. They're, they're slot car racing. Uh-huh. Uh, so I got into RC car racing a few years back and one of the places that they had like an indoor course, they also had a giant slot car race. And this is shit that's still going down in like the, you know, 2016 year of our Lord. <laughs> I don't, I, so huh. I, I, I didn't get it, but now that I've, I've seen people play those endless runner type games. Yeah, yeah. Like, isn't slot car essentially multiplayer endless runner? Because it's all about the timing of when you hit a button and how hard you hit the button. And knowing that, you know, how it's right. I mean, sure. No, that's a good comparison. There is mods like you can get on rails, you can get stronger motors, you can get Uh improved contacts and stuff like that. But you literally the only thing you can do is squeeze the gas and let off the gas. Do people even know what slot car racing is? So if you don't know, slot it car has been yeah. Like I, See, I grew I only, up with slot car racing. Yeah, I only slightly kind of know. I, I know the concepts. It's like, kind of like the whole vibration football, the vibrate, the electronic yeah, yeah, yeah. football, electric football. Uh-huh. 
so slot car racing is you have a, a, a track and there's always at least two grooves that um, th- th- this, um, this, this pin in the car that's between the front two wheels fits into. Mm-hmm. And then on either side of that pin, there are little um, copper brushes that hang down. And then there's corresponding copper grooves in the track. And it's kind of like uh, a subway, you know. Yeah. Uh, you put the car in the track. The track powers the cars. And then you have a corded trigger. Uh, that it's just usually looks like a pistol and it's just got the trigger and you squeeze it and the car accelerates and you let go and the car breaks. Yeah. And the idea is to get around the track. It, it pushes you in, in a designated line. Sure. So it takes you around corners and all that stuff. The idea is to get around the track as fast as possible without flying off of it. And, and if you do it right, your car, because it's got that pin in the groove, actually steps out and swings like a real rear-wheel drive sports car. And can you, you can kind of sl- fishtail around the corners, but if you do it too fast, you flip off. Yeah. Can you bash people out that way? I th- Probably. I'm pretty sure. I'm sure that's It'll take a lot of skill to do that. <laughs> Some of that's just like these cars, like when I saw the guys doing it, they're so fucking fast, yeah. and it just seems like it's a timing thing that cars getting knocked off are probably part of the draw, but it seems like it'd almost be accidental rather than deliberate. Sure, yeah. And, and it seems like you almost can't even keep track of where the car is Yeah, at a lot of times, so you kind of have to just develop a pattern of squeezing the trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, through trial and error, yeah. you change up your car, and it's like, oh, well, fuck, all my timing's off but that's the thing like the course never to my knowledge ever changed how could it it was all fixed into place and it was huge it was like the size of a living room and it had you know ups and downs and curves and hairpins and stuff like that but it's it's not like next sunday we're gonna come around and yeah it's it's the same course change yeah because you can't different weights in different places and different tires yeah all that kind of stuff weird sport it is, but that Jackrabbit Slims is a weird place, man. Yeah, it's a real weird place. It really is. Like I was thinking, how would you hire folk to like mm, you know auditions? Like, yeah, it would. Yeah. It's it's a it's a weird kind of performance type driven thing. Yeah, it'd be like hiring for a stage play, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, except they also have to have serving experience and uh. Uh, cooking experience, and, and I guess if you if you wanted to open up a restaurant like that, L.A. would be the place to do it. Absolutely, yeah. Because what well, we were you, debating, you do a casting call for Marilyn Monroe, you'd have thirty starving yeah. actresses to all look exactly like Marilyn Monroe and been practicing their lines. You'd have them lined up. Yeah, and it probably somebody who starred as Marilyn Monroe in yeah. a movie somewhere. Yeah, you cast Buddy Holly. Steve Buscemi shows up, says, "Give me a job." <laughs> I never realized that was Steve Buscemi uh, right? until I think the guys on Direct said it, and then I saw it this time. Because uh, he, he's he got a very minor role. Uh, the other thing is we were debating, speaking of, of actors in Hollywood and finding yeah. those roles, we were debating about Zed. Uh, okay. Yeah, a weird character. Who is Zed? What does Zed do? I don't know, man. He who... walks into this place in a security officer uniform. Which says mall cop. But it says it's also... mall cop, but it could also be actor. And his makeup's just a little bit on the glam side. A little bit, yeah. Little David uh-huh. Bowie. So yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, he could be an actor, and this is something he does for... But here's the thing. like These guys all have this... Where in L.A. do these guys that have... you know, A lot of the memorabilia is Mississippi and Louisiana and 
mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the 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 stars and bars, rebel flag, and well, like, the, these are the actors, yeah, the, like the these potential guys, actors and actresses coming out there and selling their shit to these, survive. These guys came out of the movie Deliverance, and they're right in the middle of downtown L.A. and they're running, yeah. And that's the other thing is like when Maynard calls Zed, he's got this coded language, like this is shit that they do on the reg. Spider caught spider another caught fly. another fly, couple, couple of flies, couple of flies yeah. and they got the gimp. The gimp is a mystery to me. Like, does the gimp is the gimp trapped in that room? Is the gimp a previous fly that they caught and have trained? Is the gimp a guy? Like, he's sleeping in the box, so clearly he's there for Some a prolonged do period. Shit of time. like that, man. Like, he could be just like really deep into the submissive scene, and he's doing that sure. voluntarily. Or is he a captive? Like, the, there are several options here. Sure, sure. But all interesting things to ponder. Uh, I mean, you're already dealing with crime, so it's not like you can say, like, well, you know, if it's if it's consensual, non-consent, that's not. But, yeah, I mean, they're they're literally raping people and confining them yeah. against their will. So Keeping someone in a basement you against their will is yeah, not out of the question. You can't appeal to normalcy when t- talking about that. I, yeah. I don't know, but it's... A fucking weird. Un- I mean, where did he come up with that? It gets weird enough to have these hillbilly dudes in L.A. running a murder rape basement yeah. out of a pawn shop, but now, then you add the gimp and the full leather suit. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. weird. It's real weird. I guess you know if uh, that's also the first kind of experience I had to any kind of alt shit like that. Like I'd never ever seen a ball gag or a man in leather or. Yeah, anything I like so. i guess yeah like it's pretty early on in my internet going days <laughs> sure like i feel like that, that even the porn there was no real you know that that extreme that was, shit came later and if it was out there which i'm sure it was in the early well, days of the internet, was to. it was way underground yeah uh i, I definitely wasn't into that uh, now there's like several houses that's all they do the, the other thing i noticed about and i don't know if this is a tarantino thing there are there are hi-fi systems everywhere in mm. this fucking movie. No, he loves like, that. Yeah. He loves music. Real he loves to real, vinyl. Real to real. And like the thing that struck me is in Mia's house, uh-huh. which I presume is Marcellus Wallace's house. Sure. Uh, so maybe it's Marcellus who's got this fetish. But she's she's putting on this real to real music when mm-hmm. she's got a perfectly good CD player right underneath, and she's fucking rewinding a real to real, which is the most tedious, obnoxious piece of your life. If you live in the 90s. What's hilarious Rewinding is... shit. VH. I got to rewind a fucking tape every goddamn day of my life. Yeah. My, my... <laughs> I'm on track 10. How am I going to get to track two? My dad was kind of an audiophile back in the day. And what's hilarious is we had this exact same uh, Neil Diamond quote unquote album on reel to reel. Oh my God. I remember okay. listening to, you know, Young Girl and all that on that system. Uh-huh. And I... Don't quote me on this because this is barely in my yeah, – but but there was um, – I think in the late 70s or early 80s or maybe even contemporary to this movie being made that before the resurgence of vinyl came back, like the, the same way that people were like way into laser discs when VHS era, like the reel-to-reel was like the vinyl fetish of its time. Okay. And now everybody goes, it's all vinyl. You know, everybody loves vinyl, loves the way vinyl sounds, sure. loves the experience of list- sitting down and listening to an album, which, fair enough. Yeah, but, you know, you don't have to really rewind a record in the same way. No. Uh, but, so that's not the qualm, the, the quibble I have with it, okay. right? Like, the sound, sure. 
If if you want an experience and you think it sounds better, more, I more kind tracks, of agree. I think right, you could listen like that's kind of the original. Yeah. The, like I don't know again whether it's eight, sixteen, thirty-two tracks or what, but reel to reel was kind of as a close you could get as get to the original like studio copies that you that you could get before sure. CD yeah. and DVD and Blu-ray came out. Yeah, so I mean that, that's fine. I just like if you're gonna rewind something, CDs are pretty damn convenient. <laughs> And sure. you got them right underneath the fucking reel of reel. But you know you can't you can't uh, snort coke and dance around your apartment to a CD. <laughs> I can. I mean, I feel like that's, I can. I think one one of my friends that loves listening to vinyl. His strongest argument is listening to vinyl is what people who really like music did. Because if you if if you if you have if you're the type of person to have CDs and would put on a random Neil Young or uh, Neil Diamond song, um, you probably wouldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. there's a certain amount of commitment to an album and and all that that is implied by putting the the vinyl record on the platter and turning it on. Like people that have CDs, and I think it's especially true of now of like you know media devices, right? Yeah, like it's very like skip, skip. Oh, this is the good, this the good parts over. Skip next, and it, it's a way different type of music listening experience. Absolutely. It's yeah, like your, I, your own DJ rather than listening to a whole album to appreciate all the nuances of a of a particular artist. There are a lot of things I respect about vinyl or reel to reel. Sure, rewinding is not one of them. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. So, uh, what else? A uh, couple other things I want to talk about. Um, right. I, I speaking about random pitter patter dialogue that that adds your enjoyment to scenes later. Is I love the Patricia Arquette or was it Roxanne? It's Roxanne Arquette. She's talking about piercings and how many piercings she's gotten, what a pure experience it is, and how she only did. She doesn't do the the guns at the shop. She does it herself with the needles. And to see her reaction, like when Vincent brings over this junkie babe, and she's just having a fucking fit, as is the drug dealer himself. Um, you know, they can't believe this is all <laughs> happening. This is all like all played as black humor too. Yeah, but the way her face lights up when she realizes that. This is like the ultimate piercing. You're taking this big ass needle, big needle and you're yeah. piercing someone's fucking heart with it. Like this is to her the ultimate. Like she probably wishes she could do something like that. Yeah, she could have a heart piercing, and that's all just throwaway dialogue between her and the, the weird squatting roommate that they have there. Yeah, and I mean it's just it. You know, she's a good actress as well. Like you can see it on her face throughout that scene. Is this Christopher Walken's last non-ironic performance? It's close, but uh, I, he's definitely not ironic in Donnie Brasco. Does that come which out is three after, years later? Did yeah, it really? It's ninety-seven. Okay. Uh, so I mean, it, it's approaching the era where Christopher Walken went straight on parody of himself. Because that's the thing. Like, at, and and even here at the end of this scene, he starts shifting into that wacky Walken mode for but, effect. And, and and yeah, how do you do it without that? Right. Yeah. Like, if he tried to play the ass watch straight, yeah. I don't, I'm totally straight. I don't know that you could do it. Yeah. He's, uh, I don't know, because, like, I guess he was in Sleepy Hollow. That was not exactly an ironic performance. I'm trying to uh, decide what his last yeah. non ironic performance was. It's a, it's a good question. It's somewhere in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Catch Me. So he played Frank Abagnale's oh, father right. in Catch Me If You Can. What was that, like 2002 or something? Yeah, he's good memory, 2002. But then, like, in the rundown, he's full-on ironic walker. 
Man on Fire. I <laughs> well, think the rundown he's... is a shit show. Uh, I, I I have affection for it. I don't, don't want to see the rock get fucked by monkeys. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's in Hairspray. That's not exactly an ironic role, but he's also very much Walker walking in that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting because he was an Academy Award winning art house capital A actor, and we did a commission on one of his. Sure. Uh, on what was it called? Deer Hunter. Yeah. Uh, not too long ago. You might have heard of it. Yeah, which is you know one of his finer performances. Yeah, incredible. Um, but no, it's interesting. He's had a very interesting career and he kills it in that scene. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And it's also got that weird, um, so I looked it up. It's called Clutch Cargo. Uh, it was an animated series starting in 1959. That was the one where it had like the Eskimo guy talking to the dog and there was a weird general and stuff like that. That seems like a, I wouldn't have been surprised if he just made that up, but it's actually a real show. That had like I don't know. Yeah, I mean, as much episodes. of a pop culture guy as Quentin Tarantino is, it kind of would have surprised me if you made it up. Yeah, I guess so because there's so much weird stuff that you can just mine out of pop pop culture. Yeah, and he kind of knows it all. So, um, so the two the the two parts in the movie where I feel like it really fucking drags are Butch's conversation with the taxi girl. Okay, and then That's it rolls very strange, yeah. right into his conversation with Blueberry Pancakes, Potbelly Girl. And what's weird is I feel like the actresses have a similar kind of exotic European look and accent. And I don't yeah. know. like I feel like that means something, but I don't know why. Because otherwise, both of those actresses are giving such a bizarre and off-putting performance that it brings me right out of the movie. Yeah, so it's, it's not really necessary for – so I was thinking watching this scene, like, why are they showing me the taxi cab stuff? I mean, is it just to show me Bruce Willis's kind of, you know, panic and and getting away and stuff like that? Or but he's it... not panicked. He's cool and he's in control the whole time. He's like Bruce Willis at his most. He's kind of a brutish oaf the rest of the movie, but this is at his kind of most suave. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the juxtaposition of him doing that and like having nightmares hmm. and shit and hmm. and sweating in his locker room before yeah. the fight, you know, and like how he's kind of like tender and goofy with this girl, but he's also like borderline violent. Like things get scary with her yeah. when she forgets his father's watch, smashes a fucking TV. But I so I was thinking, well, it might make sense to do that, but then they show us very shortly after that that this is not a problem, like. He he doesn't need to convince this lady to not talk about him because he's going to be cool with Marcellus, like, 30 minutes later in this movie. Yeah, I... So, like, what what is the point of introducing us to this cabbie? I don't know. And then his his, his girlfriend is bizarre. Like, there's, uh, there's something that I've never considered that one of the undercurrents of the scene is that um, his girlfriend is pregnant. Yeah, with the pot belly, sure. She's talking about the pot belly, and then in the morning, she's she's like, I've got something to tell you, and then she walks in, and he's already passed out, and she's like, Uh, oh, never mind, and that never comes. So yeah, she could be pregnant with her baby. That doesn't, I don't know, because like whatever the opposite of a ride-or-die bitch is, is what (laughs) Bruce Willis's girlfriend in his movie. Okay, she is not the Bonnie to his glide. (laughs) No, she's like the refuse to get on the chopper and probably die anyway of broad. I I don't, she, it's... There's something so infantile about their dialogue that I just think, like, really, Butch? Like, are you that dumb that, like, three months into this, you're not going to be like, oh, my God, just shut your fucking mouth. No, I don't want to hear about your goddamn pot belly. No, I don't want to hear about your blueberry pancakes. I I just had the worst day of my life. Yeah, no. (laughs) 
And she kind of flies off in a rage. Well, because I guess fair enough. She he called her retarded. Yeah, maybe I yeah. don't know. It's like it's it's somewhat it's the the it's it's portrait of like the sweet couple that also has this dark undercurrent. I don't know. I just like it, this whole sequence from the fucking taxi cab rider till he ditches her and goes to get his cat are like the slowest fifteen twenty minutes of this movie. It's the only part for me where the yeah. movie just does. And it's also like maybe it's Quentin Tarantino going a little crazy because. We got to make sure that we know that cab drivers driving barefoot. Why the fuck is she driving yeah. barefoot? That's very weird. And she's the way she reacts to him getting in her car. She's like, <gasps> I mean, is is that the way? Is is like, am I on some kind of taxi cab confession? Like well, this I mean, beautiful woman with well manicured and pedicured, and she's like, as he, she's just, just, just uh, when when he gets into the cab, and she, I, it's well, I think weird. it ties in with the the sort of fetish angle of the gimp and all that stuff, where she's. You know, she's asking questions about, like, what's yeah. it like to kill a man? She's intrigued by these kind of darker sides of of life and reality here. and Yeah. I, so I, I think there is, like, some thematic link, but I don't know that we actually needed any of that. Uh, one of the things I think – so let me ask you something else before we move on. Um, what this – would this movie be as good in chronological order? Have you ever watched a chronological uh, edit? I haven't. I know it's out there. I desperately want to now because I was yeah, trying I to think of it. Like, there's a lot of things that are pleasurable on second watch and confusing, but in a pleasurable way on first watch that just wouldn't be there. Like the thrill of seeing Vincent and Vet. You see them in their suits, <laughs> and you don't know that they've blown Marvin's head off. And you see them walking into the yeah. bar in this dorky clothes. That everyone comments on, and you can tell Jules is kind of like. Eh. But and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then later, so in first viewing, later on, you then get the laugh. Oh, now sure. I get it. So I like, I still think it would work, maybe, and, and in chronological order because you'd you'd see them getting into the clothes, and maybe the joke would land a little bit more, like with Jules going, "God damn it, I hate being in these clothes." Yeah. Maybe that lands a little bit harder. Yeah. Uh, if it's in chronological order, but I I like it out of order. I think it's inventive enough. I do too. But now that, now that I've seen him seen it that way, I kind of want to see it the other way, and I wonder if I can even evaluate it fairly because the I you know I've seen yeah. Pulp Fiction a lot. Like sure. I probably watched the, I know I watched the the thing I taped on VCR two or three times, and then um, you know I've watched it a bunch a bunch since then. Yeah, I mean this is like so we like, talked about with The Godfather, where you watch it when it's on. You know? Yeah, although it's, it's The Godfather, you know, is another thing. Uh, tip is if you got HBO Go or HBO Now. They have the what's called the saga version, yeah, heads up uh, of the of the Godfather, which I think is different from the old one that used to be on ABC, where they'd stitch the first two together. I think this is like yeah. the whole. Although, really, the first two are the only ones that are out of sequence, and then Godfather three just plays out. Yeah, so I mean, the tie in there is they they edit one and two and kind of three uh-huh. in chronologically. Yeah, together. Yeah, it's I like have seen hours, I have seen like. the first two put together in chronological order, and I don't know that it. It it makes much difference, honestly. It might be a little bit easier in diffusing or understanding the plot. Could be, but I don't know. It's cool either way. Uh, but no, I I I would like I would wonder if this was just released in chronological order if it would be half as interesting as it is. I think it, I actually think it would hold up, but I think maybe like a ten percent fall off in interest level. Yeah, I don't I don't think it would have been as seen as as innovative and inventive as it was. Uh, without that uh man i tell you the the funniest thing in this movie is the tension between jules and vincent 
Okay. Because you can tell that Ju- like Vincent is this hot-headed asshole that even though he is the cause of so much grief. And arguably, wouldn't you say that like his sloppy weapon handling is a plot point in the movie? Like he blows off Marvin's head because he's he's pointing the gun right at him with his finger on the fucking trigger. Uh-huh. And then later in the movie, he leaves his Uzi on the stove while he goes to takes a shit. Yeah. At the exact same time that Marcel is, is out the, the door as well. Yeah, getting donuts, sure. Like, it's just, he's, he's, he needed Jules to be as successful as he was. Because I feel like Jules is, even though that, uh, you know, Vincent's not a dummy, Jules is the smarter guy. Yeah, I think so. The more careful guy. More take care of business kind of right. guy. And yeah. even Jules is the one, like, man, we should have shotguns. For, he's, he's obviously, he seemed like he was always a more tactically and strategically aware guy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, I get the impression that he had been in the game longer too. Hmm. Uh, I, it's just the way he talks about like you think this is the first time I've had a gun pointed at me, and like I'm thinking about retirement. Like that implies like some some history in the game. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Vincent hasn't been around all that long. Yeah, and I don't even know. That's another question. Like, is Vincent like a hired gun? Because Jules feels like he's in the gang. And Vincent says, I don't know, man, this isn't my town when they're talking about finding allies in L.A., implying that. But then he has, like, the hug with Marcellus. Like, yeah, but I mean. Maybe they, he's an enforcer in another area. Yeah. For Marcellus. I feel like that, or are they, you know, he's done a lot of work in the past and he comes into town quite a bit. But, you know, he usually, I don't know, mate, does he live in Amsterdam unless he's called for? Oh, I'd. I, I didn't think no, that. I, I thought I got that the was a vacation. He, yeah, yeah. Like a, a lengthy one, but a vacation. Yeah. Uh, another question. But I, I love the tension because Jules is this fight between his aggravation at the situation that Vincent's gotten him into and how far he can push Vincent in abusing him. Okay. And, and also the fact that they're both like dangerous people. Like there's also this kind of like uh you know it's like trying to watch two spiders fuck. There's that tension of like well one of us <laughs> might eat you, eat eat the other. It's just I don't know. It's yeah, it's so great. Vincent also has the quirk where like he likes to push shit a little bit farther than he should sometimes. Even like calling out Mister Wolf. Yeah. Like yeah, like wa- I, I want a little respect. No. Who in that situation does that? Well, Vincent Vega <laughs> does. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just like a this little personality quirk that works so well. Uh, speaking of um, speaking of personality quirks, why is Mister Wolf at a weird pre-breakfast party in a tux in a weird hotel room reception <laughs> area at eight thirty in the morning? I I feel like this is the after party to the after party. Like, like he just not gone to sleep. Yeah, the party's gone all night. Uh, then they had the after party till, you know, 5, 6 a.m., and now he's at the after party for the after party. I also like the fact that, like, there's this... Um, I think he's one of the most compelling portraits of a fixer. Yeah. Like, you know, or an array... But he doesn't do the actual wet work. He just makes the problem disappear. Like, yeah. that's an uh, interesting class of underworld criminal. And, I mean, he's... I know this is probably... He's not the archetype mm-hmm. for... Or he's not the... The pattern for this archetype, like the mold, he right. certainly just fits into the mold of that. Right. Uh, but, you know, you see it in a lot of different shows and like, you know, the man trout is certainly an example of that. He's well, called so have you, I'm trying to think of a role because whenever I've seen fixers or cleaners or whatever previously, it's always been like the Luca Brazzi type. 
This okay. guy, like, I'm trying to think of have I ever seen a Mr. Wolf before I saw Mr. Wolf? Yes. Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad as Mike. Definitely in the Mr. Wolf vein. Yeah. Um, John Wick, there's a bunch of Mr. Wolfs running around, you know, sure. the cleaning men and stuff. Mm-hmm. That they don't do the violence, they just make it like the violence never happened. Did did Quentin Tarantino invent that archetype? No, I, I can't imagine that he did. Huh. Yeah, you're right, because it's more like he would have seen some old, obscure Italian spy movie yeah. where a guy like this existed, and mm-hmm. he wore a tuxedo, and... Well, that's 8.30 in the morning. doesn't really make sense in my universe, but fuck it. That's the sure. other thing is, like... And kind of the ultimate fixer, James Bond. Like, he's... Mm, that's a But he does role. get it. Like, do you think Mr. Wolf kills people? Like, I guess if the cops pulled him over mm. and things were about to go south, maybe he does have a, a pistol... And I think he's got that gear. Yeah. yeah but he it's like he strives to live his life without ever firing a shot. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's certainly his goal. Okay. Because, yeah, even James Bond is way too much Luca Brazzi type as far as the wet works go. <laughs> sure, sure. Prefers to shoot his way out of a situation. Uh, you got anything else to talk about? Because I'm starting to run out of topics. I mean, we we're talking a little bit about Quentin Tarantino and his uh, pop culture obsession. Um, and how he kind of pulls things from different places in pop culture. He famously worked at a video store where he just watched movies all day, every yeah. day. And, and he integrates really... that into all his stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and I can't help but notice, like, the hi-fi systems and just, like, televisions stacked on televisions of all sizes. Like, yeah. you go to Lance's house. Sure. He's got... He's got a reel-to-reel, too. He's got a reel-to-reel. He's got a record player. He's got a tape deck. He's got it all. He's also got he m- many, many televisions. He's got a television... That's probably like a 17-inch stacked on top of a TV that's probably like a 27-inch. Mm-hmm. Then in his bedroom, he's got like a, the most useless like 8-inch television sure. that you can't even see from across the room, but it's in there because I get the impression that Lance does nothing but get high and sit around and watch bad TV shows. Right, yeah. Uh, kind of like Quentin Tarantino probably does. <laughs> uh, but I, I just I kept noticing like all of these... Just like I guess at the time, not anachronistic, but now so anachronistic uh, technology systems, yeah. uh, specifically for like media, and it was just it was really interesting to see that. I think that shit makes Quentin Tarantino happy, and it reminds me of a story. It does, yeah. Like I think he does a lot of the stuff he does in his movies are things that just make him happy, which is kind of disturbing when you think about the content in a lot of his movies. <laughs> sure, but I remember on. I think it was the Johnny Carson. might have been Jay Leno. I'm not sure when they cut over. But uh, John Travolta, because this was like his comeback role. You know, he had like, uh-huh. you know, th- and it led to a resurgence of him doing action it, it movie helped stuff that he and drama. And, yeah. And, but, but here's the thing. Like, I guess Quentin Tar- Tarantino always wanted him to be in this. And his audition, he had, this is according to John Travolta. He had John Travolta come to his house and play a vintage Saturday Night Fever board game, a licensed board game based on the John Travolta movie. What the fuck? Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta. That's surreal. That's just like. But that's kind of like that's that sounds like a very Quentin Tarantino thing to do. Like you've got Quint- this washed up actor, <laughs> and to lure him back into the craft, you're going to have him come over and play, and in an ironic fashion, I'm sure, this board game based on this. Yeah. The biggest thing he did when he was a young man. Quentin Tarantino is going to end up like Jim Carrey in The Cable Guy. <laughs> He's going to fall from a fucking satellite spouting lines of dialogue from old TV shows. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, that is his destiny, man. Right. He's going to make his 10th movie, and it's going to be fucking cuckoo land for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, it might already be. It might be. It might already it be. It might be. Although he does say, like, I love it when he has to confront... 
Um, I, I like it when he has to confront Alec, uh, criticisms in the media about his relationship to violence and film and all that stuff. And yeah, I, he, his role is essentially, I don't, I, I'm not even going to go there because I'm an artist. I'm making art. Fuck you. If you're holding me responsible for the violence in society. Well, sure. And, yeah. and he, but it also sometimes he engages and he always seems very smart when he talks about that kind of like, you know, the role of art in society and what he's trying to do with it. And, and, you know, one, of the, I think we've talked about this in one of the podcasts, but I think maybe Django was one where we kind of delved into that because it, he also touches on race and stuff. Well, and I also remember talking about hateful eight and, you know, that there's a couple ways I could see this movie being interpreted as. Yeah. You know, more progressive than I guess you would look at it from at face value, because at one point it's just like, Oh man, like, this is the same old Quentin Tarantino shtick. It's going to be lots of race, but does it really actually say anything about race? Or is it just kind of for shock value? I don't know. But I mean, I think the man himself is, is smart and you know, Sam Jackson fully supports everything he does. So there's that. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it as a guy who has clearly thought about it and kind of honestly doesn't give a damn a lot of the time and just wants Mm. to have fun. Yeah. Uh, because that was kind of his movie going experience too. Like he would watch these things and he would think, Oh man, that was badass!" Like the grindhouse type stuff. Yeah. Like that was a cool movie. That did, did you see that explosion? Did you see that, the, him shoot all those guys? Yeah. I feel like he's just having a lot of fun with his movies too. So yeah. So it's hard to, to say, I don't know that so much of his stuff is, is just schlock. Sure. It's just like more and of the same. Nobody has to have a higher purpose for making a movie than to make something cool and entertaining. I'm not trying to suggest that, but I do sure. think that, um, I don't know, I, th- I think there's some kind of moral or ethical fabric that he started. Like, I don't think it's there in Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction was just rule of cool, telling yeah. an interesting yeah. story and going for broke the whole time. Um, but I do think that there is increasingly some kind of fabric that's being woven, and I'm not sure what it is. But I don't know. I I, don't, I I guess I'm curious to see his next his next movie because I I thought that Hateful Eight was such a step backwards in terms of my interest in Quentin Tarantino. And I don't. It's kind of like when George Lucas came out with the prequels. Like, man, it bums me out to see someone I like make a movie that I don't like. And I know that yeah. they're not all going to be hits. But I guess when you have a, a miss, you want to see your heroes get back uh, to the plate and, and take another swing at it and knock it out of the park. Like, if he's sure. only going to make one or two more movies, I hope they're really, really... You know, at least in Glorious Bastards level, good. Yeah. Uh, are we are we bad at things to talk about? Well, we unfortunately, uh, because of the nature of this particular podcast uh, and that it was a community commission, we have uh, an honest to god feedback section. Oh, that's right. Uh, before we get to that, I just want to leave everybody with the thought of having a broken nose and being ball gagged. <sighs> That sounds like a bad time. And I thought me. that there was some subtle things that Bruce Willis did. Like there's when he first came to, he kind of like did this like choking cough. Uh-huh. Like, like like what you'd do if you had like the cough. Coagulated blood in your throat. Yeah, you're trying to breathe through <laughs> your nose that's <laughs> broken. It's like, oh, he's like ch- kind of choking. And, it just, yeah. it, uh. and like as he's stopping because it hurts every single time. But you got to keep 
you know, you gotta keep breathing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like I don't know if everyone else has, but when I when I throw up, I'm a violent thrower upper. No, oh, and like I after my body, after I'm clearly done and I'm out, my body's like, nah, I want to squeeze like a tube of toothpaste four or five times. I want to get some veins popping in your eyeball because I just don't believe that you're empty. I feel like that's <laughs> kind of like what the coughing was. Like his, right. he was fighting. Yeah. Like I can't cough, but I gotta cough, and I can't cough. It's I, it's good, good stuff. Yeah, that's that's an unpleasant thought. Another instance where it's like everybody just is fully engaged and giving a fuck about their performance, and they're not taking scenes off, and they're doing interesting things. Like you look at what Yolanda is doing in her physical comedy as she's trying to decide who to train guns on, <laughs> and uh-huh. you know, even Tim Roth, like what he's doing when he's got like look at what he's really doing the whole time. Sam Jackson's got a gun on him. Yeah, it's fascinating to see him play this like tough guy who's just pants shitting afraid and mm-hmm. trying to just co- complete withdraw emotionally and not provoke this guy. Uh, I, I couldn't watch anything but Yolanda's extra long blouse, uh, <laughs> really fucking weird sundress. Like, yeah, no, it's like a it's man. A dress it's like she's wearing an Oxford shirt that just goes down to above her, and when she's and no pants. Yeah, when she squats, it hikes up in a weird way that makes it seem like she's running around naked. Yeah, yeah, like it kind of sags down in the middle and up on the sides. It's just, yeah. It looks like all she's wearing is a shirt, even it's, though I know it's a dress, but you just don't see dresses buttoned all the way down. Usually. And, and she's standing in front of a window so you can see through the dress, <laughs> uh-huh, and the, yeah. that kind of accentuates the bizarre kind of like you got her out of her shrift kind of look. Yeah. yeah. It does draw the eye, I suppose. I, I couldn't I couldn't look at Tim Roth. All I could see was her dress. <laughs> well, next time, look at Tim Roth. I will. He's doing some pretty incredible stuff. All right. Feedback. Ah, yes, feedback. A funny thing happened on the way to feedback. As I mentioned in the intro, uh, I actually sent out an email. I only got one back from Keith who said, hey, love what you do with the Commission Podcast. Just whatever you guys say is going to be fine with me. Great. And uh, the first time I did it, like the way I copied and pasted orders, it like concatenated the username and email name, and I got a whole bunch of message delivery failure messages. Mm. And I sent out another one, and again, I'm not sure if it's because I used put everybody's things in the BCC because I wasn't sure, you know, if everybody's cool with their emails getting passed around to a bunch of virtual strangers or not. Um, I will say, so we didn't get any feedback for this one. I will say that if you felt like that we you, you didn't get your 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 money's worth, and, and you need to get a piece of feedback, or you had a burning question about it or an observation. I am more than happy to record a special. I don't care if it's thirty seconds long, or if it's fifty minutes long, or if it's whatever. Very happy to record a right an, an add on Pulp Fiction podcast to deal with that feedback. Since we kind of bung, I don't, I'm not even sure we bungled it. Maybe everybody got it and was like you know didn't care to respond. Yeah, um, but it was I'm a weekend for people to spend, you know, for the first community podcast for people to spend money and be like, oh, this is bullshit. Yeah. So uh, or if you want your proper name to be shouted out or whatever, I'd say going forward, um, you know, you guys can see the commission podcast queue. There's a link to it in the uh, the show notes for this particular show. And there's also a forum post. If you see it's getting kind of close and you haven't heard from us, maybe check your spam folder. Or maybe we can collaborate in the VI, you know, in the, the 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 VIP forum sections for some of this stuff. I, I don't I don't know how to 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 handle the commission. Or the other thing is, if when you I guess put in your commission, you can also send in feedback right then and there. Mm-hmm. To you, you can use the merch at baldmove.com or host at baldmove.com or whatever email you want um, to to send it in, and just whenever we get around to it, we can search through and, and draw a lasso around that. But uh, 
Because I thought about making a forum post, but if you make a public forum post, how do you tell between the backers and non-backers? And I don't, I know, I mean, maybe some people would not mind a free-for-all, but I know if you pay money, I feel like you should get the, the say on your podcast. Sure. No, I'm with you. Call me crazy, but I'm one of those old-school American capitalists, you know? Yeah, we'll figure it out, you know? Yeah, but like I said, big, big thing is if you if we miss something or you want to hear us talk about something that you didn't get it, uh, you know, did that deprive you of your podcast pleasure? Please email us at host at baldmove.com and we will, we will, uh, now I've, I've invited thousands of people to email us and that are not backers or maybe they're backers and fuck it. I don't care. Whatever. We'll, we'll look you, we'll look your ass up. You send a non, you send a non backer pulp fishing question. You will get smacked down <laughs> or not. I don't know, but we will record another one if we have to. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like having said all that, if you'd like to commission your very own podcast, you can go to baldmove.com slash shop and find out how you can do uh, how you can do all that. There's still a few community commission suggestions left. There's also just, you know, the, the, the whatever you want, uh, you know, put it in your cart and you can make us watch and record a podcast on any two-ish hours of visual and audio slash video game entertainment. And we are like the podcast jukebox that will serve that up. That's it. Enough enough uh, foot drag, enough pussy foot and we're out.